Yeah, someone said I have the, the body for radio. Uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so it's really great being with you guys this evening. Um, yeah, and it's been quite a while since we've been in Edgemead. It's been um, in, into, we were involved for many years in the AM congregation and also had quite a bit to do with the PM. But it's um, been a number of years since we've been back. It's wonderful to see the life and vitality and just what God is doing. So, yeah, so as mentioned, I'm Mike. It's my wife, Adi. Uh, we've got three kids. Our oldest uh, daughter is 23, lives in Beloberg, Milton area, part of the Milton congregation. Our middle daughter is in Bloemfontein, and she's in the States, but not those kind of States. Um, and she's studying. She's in her second year. She's 20. And our son is, how old is he now? 16. Dan, and he's at home still with us. And so, yeah, we've um, been 26 years married next year. And so, yeah, excited to... By God's grace, um, it really is just a journey of grace. And even for us worshiping tonight, you know, just so grateful for Jesus, actually. Just the fact that we can even come into his presence is only possible because of the work of Jesus. Um, that, that, that the Bible says that because of his own obedience, we are made righteous. And to think it's quite profound. I don't know about you, but I find it very humbling to think of the fact that I can come into the presence of God, not on the basis of what I've done, but only on the basis of another man and of his obedience on my behalf. Uh, that I don't claim, I don't dare to have any boast. I don't think, well, Lord, I'm such a good person. I've had such a great week. Or I've had a, it doesn't matter what it's like or what our day is like. It's an attitude of, of faith in that man, Jesus Christ, that is the door to the Father, that opens up the way to him. And uh, we have the privilege in us, and that's the boast of us as Christians, isn't it? Is actually Jesus. It's about Jesus. What makes you a Christian is the fact that you're a follower of that man, Jesus Christ. It's not because you sing loudly or because you read the Bible a lot, go to church a lot. Fundamentally, it's because we put our faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's everything. That's the core of it, and everything flows out of that. Um, but anyway, it's got nothing to do what I want to preach tonight. Um, but I just wanted to mention that because I think sometimes we forget about who is that name. That name represents the person of the one that we worship, uh, who's the image of the invisible God. Um, you know, we're unique as Christians because we believe in the Trinity. God is the Father, but God is also the Son. Um, that He is the person of the Son. They're two distinct persons. And He's the person of the Spirit. And someone once said, if you try and understand the Trinity, you're going to lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you will lose your faith. It's so fundamental, the idea of who God is into our faith. Um, but anyway, so what I want to do this evening is I want to actually look at a, at a man, do a bit of a, a, a break up and a bit of a Bible study, if, if, you would, if you would, for lack of a better word, on Barnabas. And I've, been, I've entitled tonight, The Ministry of an Encourager. And what I want to do is I want to look at the life of this man Barnabas with us together and look at how he, uh, as in his life, points to some examples for us of how we can walk in encouragement just like Barnabas was. And, you know, when the Bible mentions individuals in Scripture, the Bible doesn't mention individuals, especially in the New Testament, just for the sake of it. When uh, the writer of Acts mentions Barnabas, he does so so that we can learn from his example as someone who's a follower of Jesus and someone who is a spirit-filled Christian, a spirit-filled believer. And, um, and so I want us to look at this guy, Barnabas, and who he is 
really, and bring out some things for us this evening of how we can apply into our lives. And then I want us to end by us praying for one another. And so maybe some of you here have never done that, but we're going to get the whole congregation, including visitors. Visitors don't have to do this. But for the rest of us, we are all going to be praying for each other at the end. So prepare yourself for that, right? Let me just grab some water quickly. All right. That was great. Um, by the way, I'm also, I have a twin brother. Uh, so, so if you see another guy who looks like me, it's not my twin. He's shorter than I am. Uh, and he lives in the Seychelles. So that's a fun fact. That's where I was born, actually, in the Seychelles. Um, but he's not a Christian. And he runs a distillery. How's that? So we have a family business that is an alcohol family business, a distillery. So the family joke is we're both in the spirit business. It's terrible, but it's like, that's the way, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's dive in. And what I want to do is just want to look at a couple of scriptures together. Then I want to have a look at this um, and just unpack. So I want us to look at Acts 4, verse 36 to, 7, uh, to 37. And here we are introduced to this man, um, Barnabas. And it says this Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. So Barnabas is actually his nickname. It wasn't his, his proper name. His name was Joseph, but he had a nickname, and his nickname was the son of encouragement, who was a Levite and a native of Cyprus. And then we see that he's mentioned again in Acts chapter 11, and so what I want to do is I want to unpack for us Acts chapter 11 and look specifically of how he's brought into that context then for us today. But I want to start off by saying this, that when we speak about encouragement, did you know that actually encouragement is a gift of the Holy Spirit? Actually, in, I think it's in Romans chapter 12, it mentions that according to the grace given to us, we can exercise gifts, and it mentions an example of some gifts. You know, if you uh, are able to lead, then lead well. If you can show, if you are, have mercy, then show mercy to others. And it says that if you can encourage, then encourage others. That encouragement is actually linked to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a number of scriptures in the Bible where it mentions the simple thing of encouragement as being linked to deep spiritual activity. Now, we don't think of encouragement as being inherently spiritual. I don't know about you, but if we come alongside, and what the word encouragement means, it means literally coming alongside someone so that you are able to uh, the Bible uses different words like exhort or comfort, and it's literally speaking courage with or alongside someone. Um, someone once described it this way, that the difference between teaching and encouraging is that a teacher says, this is what you should do, now go and do it, whereas an encourager comes alongside you and says, come, let's do it together. And so pulling you along breathing courage into you and helping you to actually walk and live for Christ. Um, and it's a deeply spiritual thing that we find. And, you know, I uh, remember a time when I was deeply discouraged. I was going through a time, this was in about 2003, around there. And we had a meeting one particular night. I think I was even on eldership in Josh Jen then. And I distinctly remember the evening because I was feeling disillusioned, discouraged, and I remember feeling specifically I was questioning the call of God on my life. Like, Lord, why am I here? 
Why do I exist? Like, what is the purpose of my life? I know that I have to love your people, and I have to be, you know, um, just a good follower of Jesus, but Lord, I feel like I'm, I'm not counting for you, and I was deeply discouraged. I felt like overlooked. Um, I felt that, yeah, I just felt I was just struggling in the Lord. And I remember the, the evening, we had a leaders meeting, and it was actually at Russell's house in Monte Vista, just down the road here, distinctly remember. And we came in, and we had a guy who was from Durban that came to minister. He was like on the apostolic team. We, we worked with a different uh, set, group of churches back in the day. And this guy, Rory, came in, and we started the meeting. I said hi to him. I'd actually known him. I'd met him before in a, a number of times. And about 30, 40 of us packed into Russell's lounge. Russ, I don't know if you remember that evening. But, we, you know, it was all sweaty. We worshipped, and it was a hot, humid evening sitting at the back. And I remember just thinking, I'm going to slink to the back or in the corner, and I'm going to just hide away because I'm just I'm not feeling full of faith or feeling very spiritual tonight. Any of you ever feel like that? Only a few of you? Okay, a lot of liars that are here right now. <laughs> um, and so as I'm sitting, I remember um, Rory, as we started, he said, he pointed at me and said, Mike, I just feel to say to you this evening, you're a good man. You're a good man. And I was like, wow, sure, okay. Thank you, Lord, you know. Wow, that's wonderful. And we had worship, and just before he was going to share, he pointed at me again, and he said, Mike, I just feel to say to you in the Lord, you're a good man. God has got his hand on your life. And, you know, I, I just distinctly remember that time. And I want to say that was an example of the Holy Spirit using a man's words to simply just build me up in my faith. I suddenly I realized, like, Lord, you haven't forgotten me. And now while I know that theologically, there's something when someone comes alongside you and does that or, or, or lifts up your arms or breathes courage into you that is more that it's theology that's made real, the Bible made real into us. And I never forget that, you know. And I want to say that what we're talking about tonight is a deep work of the Spirit, we want to be spirit people. We want to move in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. But, you know, in Acts chapter 9, it says that the early church walked, it's Acts 9.31, they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort, and that word comfort is the same word as where we get our word encouragement. They were walking in the encouragement of what? The Holy Spirit. And may we be a people that when people come in and get discipled into this family, that they actually experience encouragement. But as you'll see from Barnabas now, as you look at Acts 11, it's not just any encouragement, but it's encouragement that looks like in a certain way. So let's look together at Acts chapter 11, and from, where is it? 22, Acts 11, 22. I know you guys have Bibles, yeah? I know um, Steve Glover it seemed, didn't seem to, no, joke, sorry. So I'm going to be naughty now, I'm a sister. No, I know you guys love the word. <laughs> All right, so Acts chapter 10 and verse 22. Acts chapter, see, I'm just testing you, right? See, I'm testing you, Struan. Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, and let's read it together. And it says, um, now the context quickly there is there is um, a church that was started in Antioch, and all these people get saved, and we actually don't know who started the church. 
It's actually started by nameless people that we have no idea who they are. And by the way, a lot of the early church grew that way. It wasn't the superstars or the man of God that had done something. It was actually people we don't know their names. And the church in Antioch, if you go back, you can read it on your own from verse 19. And it speaks about those believers. They were ordinary saints, ordinary Christians. And they were scattered from Jerusalem because of persecution. And because of their witness and because of their life and their love for Christ, they actually started a church in a place called Antioch. And if you know about church history, that church became a very powerful base that many church planters and missionaries and even Paul the Apostle get sent out of that church. And so as this work is growing and there's evidence of God um, and people getting saved and getting born again, all these things are happening. It says in verse 22, I want us to start there. And it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, the Antioch church, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Don't you love that phrase? Like, like he saw, this man came and he saw what God was doing and what did it do? It filled his heart with joy. The sense of like, wow, God, you are busy doing Have you ever experienced that? When you have a testimony from someone or, you know, you're part of a community or you see just like evidence of God's grace, of God at work, it makes us glad. It's one of the things that actually spur us on in our faith when we see what God is doing in people. Um, I have the privilege, I um, lead or oversee TMT, and I see every year, you see like an 18-year-old, some of them aren't even saved. They don't know up from down, they, they don't know where Genesis is, almost as bad as that, some of them, and they come in, some of them, they don't even know Christ very well, and you see them in the course of the year, and you see God at work, the evidence of God at work, and then you see at the end of the year how there's a transformed life simply because they've been in an environment where they've just had the Word of God. They've had the Spirit. They've, they've been part of a healthy church, and they've been absolutely transformed. And it actually is something that makes us glad. And I know for me, what brings me sanity as a pastor, you know, being in ministry is quite hard because I don't know about your kind of work that you're in or if you're a student that's here, but I find for me, being working with people in the church um, you never get to see the fruit in a short-term basis. It's not like you're a teacher and, you know, you just, in a, in a term, you get to see the progress and you tick off our progress. You don't get to see that. Why? Because you're dealing with people. But what I love about TMT, it keeps me sane, actually, because you see someone come in and then we have a graduation at the end of the year, then they leave and you see a transformed life. It's actually beautiful. I want to encourage you, come check us out. Uh, I didn't mean to be advertising TMT. It's like free advertising going on here. Anyway, and so he sees the grace of God. He was glad. And look what it says. And he exhorted them. That's the same word, encouraged. That's the same kind of underpinning of the Greek word. He encouraged them or he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And so what you find with him is Barnabas begins to live up to his name. Is he comes in here and what does he do? He actually encourages them in the Lord. But what I love about the scripture is he encourages them, not in some kind of general sense. Like, he doesn't come to them, and I want us to unpack part of this verse here. He doesn't come to them and say, you know, oh, well done. You are, um, he's not like a self-esteem preacher, or someone who tells you to believe in yourself. You know, oh, you can try harder. Keep going. 
as you'll see now, his kind of encouragement is not like that. And I find sometimes in church life, the way we encourage one another can be very general. You know, like, and even, to be honest, I wonder if it's even biblical, where we encourage each other with, like, believe in yourself. Or we use this kind of cliche, like, oh, well, you know, there's a um, sun behind the clouds, whatever it is, or, you know, we use some kind of cliche. But when he encouraged them, his encouragement was to remain faithful to the Lord. What does he do? His, his encouragement is rooted in Jesus, is rooted in God. His encouragement is pointing them not to themselves, but to actually to the one that can save them. Their faith is in him, not in themselves. And he's encouraging them to remain faithful in the Lord. Um, and so I love this. It says that he, he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And why would he say that? Why would his encouragement to them be to remain faithful? You know, he could have said anything. He could have encouraged them to, um, uh, you know, seek the Spirit. Or he could have encouraged them to, in a certain area. But why does Luke say to remain faithful to the Lord? Faithful to the Lord. Why does he emphasize faithfulness to Christ? Why does he emphasize that? Because it's, it's there for a reason. And the reason why he emphasizes being faithful to Christ is because he knew that as these young believers were stepping into God's kingdom while living in a hostile world, they were going to face real opposition and trouble for being Christians. That these believers needed to be faithful because they were going to be tempted to, to be unfaithful. They were going to be tempted to actually slip away or fall away from the faith. And he's saying, guys, in a sense, things are going to get hard. Actually, if you've signed up to follow Jesus Christ, and he's, you, know, you know that he's the Lord of all. He's not some kind of guru. He's the rightful king of the heavens and the earth. And you've signed up to follow him. You have to be faithful because you're living in a culture that is not a Christ-friendly culture. People are not going to applaud you for following Jesus. And don't we find that today as well, more and more, we're living in a culture that actually is you swimming upstream, so to speak, is if you want to follow Jesus, you're not downstream. The culture around you, your workplace, chances are your family are not going to encourage you in the faith. So where do we find encouragement from? He says, I want you to be faithful in the Lord. I want to point you back to the one that actually he was persecuted. And if it was good enough for Jesus to go through trouble for, for obeying God, I want to say that you too and I too will get into trouble for following the Lord. And I think part of building our faith and finding encouragement is actually to, to kind of to settle in your heart that maybe for you as a believer, things might get really tough. And at some point, you might lose friends or family members for actually standing for Christ. Not in like an unkind way, but simply because you love the truth. And you know, we're living in a culture that teaches, all, there's all kinds of things going out. And unfortunately, we have to draw a line of what we know is right and wrong and navigate it in a respectful but a loving way. Stuff like gender, um, you know. We, one of the battles of our age is we fighting a gen, not a gender war. It's not our war to fight. We don't have to try and Christianize our culture. I'm not saying that. 
but we have to know what we believe in. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that you must be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And I think sometimes we don't know what, when trouble comes. It's like, are you, will you be caught by surprise when your boss comes to you and says, do you believe in that God will bless same-sex marriage? Uh, 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 uh. You know? Do you believe that that's fine, that, that I can be in a same-sex relationship and that it's pleasing to God? We've got to actually know what we believe on these things. And that's one of the reasons why we do training and equipping because our culture has changed. We're no longer in a, a culture that believes in these things and encourage them to remain faithful. I want to say that it, it is hard. And sometimes we expect it to be easy. And you know, one of the scriptures I really love in the Old Testament is, um, well, one of the books of the Old Testament that I love is the book of Jeremiah. And I want us to turn there and I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 12 because Jeremiah is going through a time where he is, in a sense, wrestling with his faith in the Lord. By the way, I enjoy Jeremiah because um, Jeremiah is the kind of man who, if you just read the book, he's very honest and very real. He's very, in a sense, we use the word today, authentic. He's like authentic, man. And you know what he's feeling. And if you read the book, I'd encourage you to like read it in a version like the New Living, which is maybe easier to read it as a whole, where you get like the whole the broad stroke picture. But you see that this is a man who often struggled with the call of God on his life. In fact, there's one point with Jeremiah that, you know, he's a young man, he says yes to the Lord, and he's serving the purposes of God in his generation. He's a prophet. But there's some point when he realizes that, that actually serving God is really, really hard. And people don't want to hear the words that he is sharing with them. And there's one point in Jeremiah, I forget where it, where it is, but where he's saying, Lord, I feel like you have deceived me. Ever feel like that? You sign up to follow God and actually feel a bit, Lord, you know, we use the names of God, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, you know, my provider. Jehovah, Nisi, you know, the Lord, my banner. We have all these things, and Rafa, my healer. You know, it's almost like he's saying Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> like God, he actually says that in Jeremiah. He is so honest with God that he, as he's wrestling with his faith, he's so honest before God, he says to him, Lord, I feel like you have deceived me. And then he says, cursed be the day that I was born. And then he's cursed be my, you know, um, my mother's womb, he bore me, he carries on. Like, whoa, Jeremiah, like, you know, aren't you meant to be praising in all circumstance? And then you read the psalmists like David, and you see a kind of a level of gut honesty that sometimes we struggle today to be honest with God like that. But the amazing thing is, for these men, and as you look now at Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 12, it actually starts off, these men... It's actually an example of their faith in God. It's not because they didn't trust God that they complained to Him. It's the fact that they did trust God. And they loved Him so much. They knew that God was so secure in Himself. God wasn't going to fall off His throne if you complain before Him. But this is a kind of godly complaint that the Bible speaks about as a lament. I mean, I think two-thirds of the Psalms are what are called laments. In other words, it's like, what's the, the, the modern version, the blues? It's like their worship was like the blues, you know? You know? 
God, you know, where are you today? Do, 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 you know? <laughs> I'm praying again. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, you've left me again, you know? <laughs> my girlfriend's left me again. <laughs> and my dog, you know? And, and yet, and actually a lot of the Psalms are like that. And we struggle with that today because we think, no, 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 the Bible also says, you know, that those who complained were, were swallowed up and, and were struck down in the desert. And, you know, the Bible says you, you must rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances. Yes. But sometimes we've got to start at, someone once called this, you've got to start at Grumble Copy to get to Praise Mountain. It's like you've actually got to start here. You've got to be honest with yourself and say, I know this isn't where, where God is, but I know this is where I am. And prayer sometimes begins with wrestling when things are hard. It's not, and, and so that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible shocks us with its degree of honesty. And by the way, these were righteous men. These weren't, Jeremiah wasn't some kind of worldly Christian. He wasn't some type of believer who was um, compromising. No, he was zealous for the things of God. And so I want us to, because I'm talking about encouragement here. So we're going to say, what's this got to do with encouragement, Mike? Good point. Let's go back. Jeremiah chapter 12. And if you've got your Bibles, you'll see that the heading over this that the Bible translators have put there, they put there Jeremiah's complaint. And Jeremiah is complaining, and he actually says this in verse 1. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all those who are treacherous thrive? And he's complaining that there are people, in fact, if you look at the previous chapter, there were people in his hometown that were basically wanting to, they were threatening him to, to hurt him because he was speaking the words of the Lord. All Jeremiah was trying to do is he was trying to be faithful. He was trying to do what Barnabas said, be faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And while he's doing that, he is getting battered left, right, and center for obeying the word of the Lord and speaking the word of the Lord. And as he's doing, he's complaining before you and before that, these men who try and seek my life. Now, how does the Lord respond? And here's the thing that I want to give you and then move on to something else is how does God respond to Jeremiah when Jeremiah is needing encouragement? right? How would you respond? I know what I would do. You know, if my son came home, my son is at a government school. Um, he's doing really well. He stands for the Lord. He's respectful in his faith. He loves other people. But I know for him it's quite hard. Now, he hasn't come home yet to say, Dad, you know, in weeping, broken, in tears, you know, they, they're threatening my life, you know. But if he had to come home like that, I would want, I'd, I'd put my arm around him, my boy, it's okay. Let me pray with you. I'm going to comfort you and encourage you. And you know, I feel like I just want to, do you want to be homeschooled? <laughs> you know, I'd almost like want to just take him out of that situation. But what does God say to Jeremiah? And, he, and Jeremiah carries on. He complains for like four verses. Like, ah, it's quite, you know, you read it. It's like, ah, okay, Jeremiah, stop now. And anyway, God responds, and look at verse 5. It says, the Lord answers Jeremiah, and, and God encourages him in a very unusual way. The Lord says to this, says this to Jeremiah. He says to him, um, if you have raced with men on foot, and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? 
And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What is God saying to him here? Well, again, like, what, you know, what's the context? And again, because we don't live in that cult, we've got to understand what he's saying. He's saying to this, like, if you think it's been tough, actually you, my boy, it's time that you picked up the pace. Because what I've called you to is called you to far beyond with what you're walking to now. He's saying, actually, I need you to pick up the pace. It's like, okay. And then he carries on and he says, and if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? And the thicket of the Jordan essentially was, was where lions, and there were many wild animals in ancient Israel, but that's where lions would, would have their dens often in the thicket of the Jordan. People didn't go near the, the bushes of the Jordan because chances are they would get attacked by a lion. What is he saying here? He's saying, there are lions that are going to be coming against you. Right now, you've been in a safe land, but actually, it's going to get worse. It's time that, my boy, that you grow up. Basically, that's what he's saying to him. I need to toughen you up because it's going to get harder. Oh, Lord. No, you know, like, oh, you know, like, don't tell me that. You tell me it's going to get easier. And God says, no, actually, it's going to get harder. But then he reassures him that he's with him. He reassures him that he will give him the grace and the courage, if you look through the book, that Jeremiah finds. And in fact, Jeremiah ministers, his ministry was over 40 years long. This was towards the beginning of his ministry. He served God faithfully for 40 plus years. What an example for us. What an example of someone that found courage, but this came from God, right? I want to ask you, like sometimes we have a very therapeutic kind of Christianity where we want it to be about our feelings, you know, and oh, someone offended me, I better go to my safe space. I know um, Basil said, which I actually liked, he said in the announcements, this is a safe space. And I want to say, yes, it is, because it's a place where hopefully you're going to get loved for who you are. We're not going to judge you because maybe you're a bit different from, no, we love you for who you are, you know? But in a sense, the world is not a safe space, and yet we get offended easily, and, and God says, it's like, what do they say? The qualifications of a Christian, actually they said it of a leader, but I'm going to apply to Christian. The qualifications of a Christian, you need the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the height of a rhinoceros. <laughs> Thick-skinned, but soft-hearted. And so God was building this into this man, Jeremiah, because for us, like Barnabas is saying, I want you to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose when things get hard. And I love what Josh said earlier. Josh said where God challenged him saying, will you serve me even though I don't give you back your arm? Will you serve me when I don't do this for you? And may the Lord put in us a robustness that our faith in him, like it says at Habakkuk, though Lord, or even Job, though you slay me, Though you slay me, Lord, I will put my hope in you. Or you look at Habakkuk where it says, even though, you know, there's no cattle in the stall, even though I lose my job, even though there's no provision, actually I will rejoice in the Lord. And it's, it's such a different type of Christianity that somehow is just so foreign to us today. And I know I am challenged by this because I know that my Christianity, my faith in Christ so often is built upon my feelings. You know, and what suits me, and oh no, that's uncomfortable. Oh, that's, that's inconvenient. Oh, and there's something deeper for us in this that we learn of what true encouragement looks like in the Lord. 
Everyone with me? Amen. So let's look at one more scripture. So we see that with, Jer- with, with Barnabas, encouraging to be faithful in the Lord. Why should we be faithful? Because things actually get harder in, in the Christian life. He's like, hey, man, I thought coming to church would be like encouraging, man. <laughs> this is encouraging. Let's look at one more scripture. Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 13. I'm going to land. And, um, and so I want to make this last point, is that encouragement is God's way to help us remain faithful in Him. And what He does is, while God might speak to you like, Jer- like God spoke to Jeremiah, and He does speak to us today, but one of the key ways that God helps us to find courage and strength to run and walk well for the Lord is by putting other believers around us. And I love the scripture. It says this, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, uh, sorry, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, that's the word encourage, the NRV says, but encourage one another, exhort one another every day. How how often? It says every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want us to keep a verse, um, that scripture up there. So what it is, is saying here that encouragement helps us to remain holy. That's the point that I want to make. That actually that when you encourage one another every day, and by doing so, we actually protect our hearts from the deceitfulness of sin. When you have someone encouraging you, walking alongside you, breathing comfort and encouragement into you, leading you back to Jesus. And it's interesting this, whoever thought that encouragement was a tool for sanctification or to make you holy? I don't know about you, any of you ever struggled with the deceitfulness of sin? What does that mean? It means that by nature, sin is sneaky, and we try and justify our actions. And we know there's something that we do that we shouldn't do, and it's wrong or sinful, but we think, ah, ah, maybe I should do it anyway. Or, you know, there's that There's that series on Netflix I really wanted to watch. But you know by watching it, chances are it's probably going to lead you to sin. Okay? But you're like, "Uh, I think I'm going to watch it anyway. And and we justify. So, well, I'm under grace. Praise God. You know? You know, God loves. And yet somehow we actually begin to justify. And what we do is, but when we're in a community of faith where we do life together and we're able to ask each other, so how are you doing in your prayer life. How are you doing in what you are watching? Do we ever ask each other that question? How is your Netflix life doing? Or we just say, no, how's your prayer life? You know, oh, my prayer life is good. But meanwhile, you're watching three hours of Netflix every day, you know, or Disney Plus or whatever it is, you know. And it's like those kind of questions help us to guard us against justifying sin or areas that actually harden our hearts And the problem is this, my friends, when we harden our hearts, when sin, when we justify it, when we build up a callus over our hearts, in verse 13 it says it actually leads us to fall away from the living God. In other words, encouragement fuels us to faithfulness in Jesus. It fuels our faithfulness in the Lord. And so in closing, I want to ask you today is, um, God wants to give us the ministry of encouragement that we can make sure we're spurring one another on, helping one another to actually be holy, to love the Lord, to obey Him. 
um, not to excuse one another and look over one another's sins. You know, I want to end with this. Is we, I had a group of friends when I got saved. I was, um, I was 18 years old when I got saved. And I had three friends, four friends, that, uh, three main friends that got saved with me at the same time. The one guy's name was Brett and I actually came to Christ through his friendship. He had red hair, red freckles. He was this like very zealous full of energy guy. If there was one chair in the room, he would all fall over that chair. It was a bit accident pro- This guy was, but he loved God. He was zealous for God. And it was actually through his friendship that I ended up getting saved, through the friendship with him. Then I had another friend called Kevin um, and another friend called, called um, Adrian. Forgot his name for a second there. And the four of us were like, we'd do everything together. We would hang out together. We would um, go, you know, just do stuff, play sport, go to the beach, but one thing we used to do is we used to pray together. And because of our friendship, we weren't part of a church that actually was a discipled, that had older men speaking into our lives that maybe some of you have the privilege in. So we discipled one another. And we would often just like read the Bible together. What is God showing you? And as we'd look at the scriptures, we'd just share, you know, just as friends, revelation. And as we did, we'd build each other up. That's amazing. I want to read that. What? You mean the Bible says that Jesus is God? What? You know, and we'd, we'd like talk through all kinds of things together. And we, we encouraged one another and we kept our hearts pure. You know, I look back today, 30 plus years later, if it was not for those friends that surrounded me, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where I'd be. And I, I remember the one time we used to actually drive around Port Elizabeth where I grew up, especially myself and Kevin. He had this little red car. And we'd drive around P looking for hitchhikers so we could pick up hitchhikers and witness to them. And we'd drive around. We used to have these tracks, these little gospel tracks in, our, in the cubbyhole. And remember driving around. Oh, there's a hitchhiker. We'd pull over, get in the car, unbeknown to him. We had him in a trap. And so we drive him, normally we take him the roundabout route to where he'd need to go. And then, of course, I'd be the, because I'm in the, I wasn't driving, I'd, so. And we'd witness to them. We'd, you know, we'd tell, we didn't know what we were doing half the time, but we were just, we were so zealous for God. And I remember the one time we um, was, were in the one Adrian's house in his lounge, and but there was a Bible on the dining room table, just on the little table. And um, on the coffee table, and we were just talking about the Lord and how we loved the Lord. And Brett, this zealous young guy, he, he, he just said, oh, I love the Bible so much. And he picked up, the, and this is, this is a crazy story. It's so stupid, but I just, just to share the kind of friendship we had. And he picked up the Bible, and he hugged it. He said, oh, I love the Bible so much. Oh, I love the Word of God. And then one of the other guys, I think it was um, Adrian, jumped on him. Oh, I love the Bible too. Give it to me. And then they were rolling on the ground. And then Kevin jumped on him. And then I was like, ah, oh, I just jumped on him as well. And we were rolling around on the ground while this one friend, Brett, is holding his Bible. I love the Bible. You know, if someone came in, they must have thought, like, what are, who are these people? But it's the kind of friendship that we had in the Lord where we are able to fuel one another. And I want to ask you that may our friendships be filled with things like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we can spur one another on to godliness, to holiness, um, that we, as we do life together, that we are able to, to be faithful in the Lord. But how does it happen? Together. Together. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close in these things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, we want to thank you today for Jesus. Lord, we want to say, where would we be if it was not for Jesus?
Lord, where would we be? Lord, we'd be in darkness, we'd be lost, we'd be without hope, we'd be those who are to be pitied above all men. But we thank you tonight, Lord, that we've been given the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to say to you tonight, thank you. Thank you that you have first loved us, that we can love you because you've loved us first. We want to thank you, Lord, for undeserved mercy, for unmerited favor. Lord, we want to thank you that we're part of a family where we can, as we, we're a crazy bunch, but Lord, that we can love one another even as you have loved us. Oh, Father, and I want to pray. I want to pray for a couple of groups of people. I want to pray firstly for, with every head bowed, that if you are here tonight,